Welcome to QSMU, where we share inspiring stories and ideas, helping you to find a lifestyle true to yourself. Welcome, my name is Freddie Saliba and this is episode 2, my first interview, where today we delve into endurance running, including trail running as well, and how Sean uses the fear of regret as a motivator for everything in life. Let's get into it. Today I'd like to welcome a mentor from my previous profession, someone who oozes inspiration, is one of the most positive people I know, my therapist, exercise physiologist, educator, running coach, I probably miss something, John Brewster, welcome. Thanks Freddie, thanks for having me. That was a very, uh, a very generous introduction. <laughs> but completely true. First, I just wanted to... If you could explain a bit of, yeah, like the my therapy, exercise physiology for the audience. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that is where we both met. Um, I was a teacher of yours back, I don't know, it seems like a very long time ago now, but it probably wasn't that long. Um, yeah, so my therapy, five, six years, there you go. Uh, so my, my therapy, for, for those who d- don't know that name, it, the best way to describe it would be a very hands-on, muscle-based approach to physical therapy, much like what physiotherapists or physical therapists do, but with a real focus on muscle connective tissue, uh, and then obviously working on joints and other structures as well, but very much looking at pain resulting from the physical body. Um, The other side of what I do is exercise prescriptions. So I'm an exercise physiologist, uh, and that's based on a deeper understanding of how the body responds to movement and exercise, and then applying that in a clinical setting. So I kind of combine the two things. Before that sort of work, you were in martial arts, which I did not know. So you ran, like, had your own gym with a, a, a partner? Yeah, yeah. So I guess my professional, like, adult career has always been manual therapy. So I've done that since since I left high school. But I did martial arts from age 12, and then from 12 through to about 28 or 29, I think I was teaching uh, and running schools. So I, I guess I did martial arts teaching as my main profession while I was going through university in that time. And that continued on for quite a while. Yeah. So with the martial arts, was it something you started with as, is that more like just a hobby and then? Absolutely. It was uh, from, from age 12, I knew it was something that I was the first class I ever walked into. I went, wow, this is just so cool. There's something amazing about how you can use so little effort uh, and so little energy and then create such a, a massive outcome from that. There was something about the physical, almost energetic nature of it. So that was age 12 and I knew it from then and then I was just obsessed with it for the next almost 20 years, I guess. And yeah, when I got into teaching, I took over the, my, my instructor's school when I think I was about 16. It was just the timing. He couldn't do it anymore and I was I was ready. So he put me in there as a teacher and then I went on to Melbourne um, to study and then and then grew that and then was running eight schools at one point or eight different classes a week. And then joined forces with my best mate, and we opened a, a larger school, which he now still runs to this day. And you stopped that. You said when you were twenty-eight, so you were kind of were you going back in, uh, going to like the manual therapy? It was it was largely a geogra- uh, geographical issue. I'd moved away from where I was teaching for family and things, and it was just becoming a real struggle to get to or commit to the time that I needed to put into it. And the school that I was running with my friend was going so well, I didn't want to sort of take away from any of that. So I said, "It's time for me to step back." And that he and his wife took it, and they did a great job with it. I still connect with them and I spend a bit of time there regularly, and it's great. It's great to see what they've done with it. So where is that? Uh, it's in a place called Point Cook, so west of Melbourne. Yeah. The big thing that everyone 
I guess in the myotherapy industry knows you for sports-wise is the endurance running. Is that something that you've been doing since before martial arts or has it been... Surprisingly, no. I got into it quite late. I didn't even know I could run. In fact, I didn't really like running at all. A lot of people start out. <laughs> run, run, running a long way is not something that no. comes natural to a lot of people, and it wasn't mine either. I think I was about 21, 20 or 21, and I entered an event called Oxham Trail Walker, which is some people will know that one. It's a 100-kilometer walk as a group of four people. So I, I met up with some people who were interested in doing it. We decided we'd give that a go, and 100 kilometers is a ridiculously long way. So we, we put in a bit of training, walking, not running. It took 29 hours, and it was the most grueling thing I'd ever done at that point in my life. And I said, surely if we do this again, we can do it faster and get it over and done with quicker. So we thought we'd try a little bit of running and see if we could run it. And then the following year we did it, took 10 hours off the time just by running a bit. And then I went, hey, you know what? This running thing's kind of okay. Maybe I'm, I'm going to be all right at this. So I went from 100K race as my first ever event as a runner, which was weird, uh, and then went back to the marathon, did a marathon, and then went back to half marathons and 10Ks and 5Ks and went, no, I'd much rather run really far and really slow than really fast and really short. So uh, the, long, the long distance running kind of career began and then uh, that's something I fell in love with and, and did a lot of for quite a while. I think I'm the opposite when I do go to running. It's go quickly, go fast and get it over with. Yeah, yeah. get it over done with. <laughs> kind of why I got into ice hockey. It's the short sprints, you know. Get off the ice. Absolutely. I think for me, though, the, the, the real attraction wasn't so much the running. It was the places you get to go. So I, um, my running style of choice is, is trail running. So I, you know, running across mountains and through the bush and running through sunsets and sunrises and all that kind of stuff is amazing. So it's, you get to see things that you wouldn't otherwise get the opportunity to see if you're in a car or, you know, on a bike even. What would you say has been the most amazing experience in that sense? One where you get it? did something just went, wow, can't believe I'm here or doing this. There's so many amazing experiences I've had running. I think the one that's impacted me the most was, I think it was 2008, I decided that I'd do a, I'd I'd organise my own uh, charity run uh, to raise money for cancer. I'd lost my father, both grandfathers, my grandmother, a bunch of other people to cancer, way too young in their lives. And I thought, no, this is, I'm sick of this, I want to do something about it. So dreamt up this crazy idea that I called the long run home which was a run from Melbourne to my hometown of Portland, which is 375 kilometers. So I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go and I'll see if I can raise some money along the way. And it turned into this epic adventure from me and my family and all my friends, everyone got involved and yeah, I ran it over five days. Um, it was all on the highway, so it was different to what I'd normally do. But just the camaraderie and the stories that kind of came out of it and the, yeah, it was just a huge adventure and definitely pushed my body beyond what I thought was capable and taught me a lot just about determination and family and connection and, you know, what, what people are willing to do for a good cause. So was that, that was just great you running? Um, yeah, so it was, I was the only one that ran the entire distance, but I had a lot of people that would join me for sections of it. How long were the, the days? Uh, legally, legally, because I was running on the highway, I was only allowed to run from sun up to sundown. So pretty much from, from dawn to dusk each day. Yeah, well, I didn't know either. I had to have a car in front of me and a car behind me with flashing lights and, you know, just so that, you know, nobody would run me off the road and that kind of thing. There was a lot more to it than my, uh, than my simple plan had envisaged in the beginning. I just thought I'd get a backpack and some food and water and head down the highway, but it turns out there was other things required. What would be the kind of like most challenging? You said the Oxfam when you first did that, but... The long run home was the most rewarding and amazing experience and it was definitely hard but I think the hardest 
physical endurance event I've ever done was something called Alpine Challenge, which was my first attempt at a 100-mile race. So this was an actual race as opposed to a charity run. I'd never run 100 miles before at that point, so 160 kilometers. And this was over the four highest mountains in Victoria, so through the Alpine National Park. What's the sort of heights on those ones? It, well, they're not massive compared to world standard mountains, especially the part of the world where you are, but I think Bogong would be the highest. I actually don't remember. Um, 1,400 meters? No, I can't remember the exact height. No. Yeah, it was, a, it was the biggest mountains I'd ever seen anyway, as far as um, yeah. with my limited experience of mountains. Um, but... <laughs> But it was, um, yeah, that was that was crazy. I went into that event already injured, so I was kind of starting behind the eight ball. I had a, a tendon problem, which kind of eventually sorted itself out throughout the race. And then I fell over in a river, in a river crossing, smashed my knee. And then at 70 kilometers in, in the middle of the night, I stepped in a hole by accident and tore my calf, strained my calf. And then short, shortly after that, got cellulitis in that calf. So an infection in the in the fat just under the skin just, I guess I got a scratch on my leg and something got in there. So I ended up doing 90 Ks with a torn calf and cellulitis without realizing that the infection was there. And by the time I'd finished, um, I, I had hallucinated for the, for the final about eight hours and was seeing all sorts of weird and wonderful things that didn't exist. So apart from the physical exhaustion and the pain, there was this mental game that I was playing for, you know, the, those final few hours coming into the finish and yeah, that was definitely the most physically torturing thing I've ever done. Again, it's rewarding because obviously, you know, when you finish something that you think is going to be impossible, there's a great feeling that comes with that. But yeah, de definitely the hardest one was that one. Is the calf better now or is that one? Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, that, that came good. So I didn't know much about cellulitis at the time, but it turns out that it's life-threatening um, if you don't have it treated. So I didn't recognize what it was. Somebody I was working with said, that doesn't look good. You better go to the hospital. Uh, this is three days after the race. So I went off there and I had IV antibiotics for a week. I had to check in with a nurse every day. Yeah, it wasn't good. But the, the calf itself has been fine. Just the cellulitis took a little while to go away. And then I haven't had any problems with it since, luckily. So with, with all the, the crazy events, how has all your family and friend took it when you kind of made it to that next level? Were they all pretty supportive and yeah, thought you were a bit crazy? <laughs> after, yeah, yeah. Well, they always think I'm crazy, but after after a certain point, they uh, they recognise that there's probably not much point worrying about me because I was just going to do these things anyway. But the, definitely the, the long run home one was a big one because it gave people perspective. So trail running, you kind of go, oh yeah, I'm going to run from here to here through the mountains, and they and the most people for the for the most part go, oh yeah, okay, that's fine, whatever. They don't understand. But for the long run home, uh, I was running down a highway that everyone in my family had driven down their entire lives. The perspective, the understanding of the distance was much more real. So there was a lot of fear in them that, you know, I might hurt myself, that it wasn't possible. What if I really ended up unwell as a result? So there was a lot of people that were like, Sean, I don't think you should do this. This doesn't sound safe. It doesn't sound right. And I said, look, what's the worst that could happen? I can run until I can't run anymore. And then I get in a car and I get driven the rest of the way. And I was just sort of telling them that, that to appease them. But really, no. there was no way I was going to stop. <laughs> if anyone um, knows because, you. No, no. Well, I just, the, the fear of regret is, is for me is much worse than anything else. So I, um, I'll, I'll keep going until I fall down. With the fear of regret, that's been something with both running and, and work-wise that's kind of pushed you forward. Is it a lingering, oh, I should do it, or is it things like, you know, when you're in the middle of a run or a bit of everything? Almost everything for me is, is driven by that. Like, I, I don't let fear stop me except for this fear of regret. Like, this, this regret thing hangs on me a lot. So if I, if I see something that I really want to do 
or if I think that something's not possible and maybe I shouldn't give it a go, then the thought that I'll wake up one day when I'm 95 and go, geez, I wish I had of, and now it's too late, that's the biggest driver for me. And so that's definitely why I've been able to do the kind of things that I've done in running and push through pain. And so it's not a mental toughness, it's literally driven by fear. That's all it is. As I say, fear's one of the biggest motivators. Sure is. I definitely understand the regret side. I ended up leaving my therapy because I wanted to travel more. I was postponing it a bit longer than I had planned. And I just, yeah, you just, Waiting. you just sat there and went. Yeah, there's, there's no perfect day. My business was starting to go really well. Um, my friend Maria was like, oh, is really now the right time? Everything's going well. I thought, I just had this, yeah, this click of, if I don't do this, never going to do it, and boom. Now is always the right time. And do you have any regrets as a result? Yeah. There you go. And the, the other side of the beauty of that is you also don't know the difference. So if you chose to do something and you go, well, was it the right decision or not? Well, you don't know what the alternative is. So there's, there's some comfort in that too. Like you don't know what would have happened if you stayed in your business. All you know is you've had some great experiences and traveled and seen lots of things and people and it's been good. Even now on the opposite side, for me, I don't really, when people say, do you regret things? Me, not really. Because you look back and as you said, there's, you don't know what things would be like otherwise. And you can't really change them because then you wouldn't be where you are right now. For yourself, do you have any regrets in that way? It's a good question. Yeah, there's, there are some regrets. I think there's some things that I, if you could go back, it's mostly to do with time with people. Like there's certain people that I'll, that I'll never get time with again, that if I could go back, I would do, I would spend more time with them and I would, you know, say things that I maybe didn't say. But as far as how I've lived my life and the experiences that I've had and the decisions that I've made, I don't think so. Speaking of time, how do you fit it all in? You, I don't know, when, when I was studying and met you, you had a job at uni, TAFE, your running business, your clinic, you started doing all these other courses. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. I presume you were running still at the time. How do you tend to manage all that? I've definitely gone through periods where I've been ridiculously busy and um, it's just a priority thing. So if, you, if you've got 15 things that you want to do and they're all at the top of your priority then list, then you've got to find a way to fit them in. And for me, it was I'd give up sleep. I didn't sleep much. In fact, I'd convince myself that, you know, four and a half, five hours sleep a night was, was enough to function on. And for a, for a long, for a long, long time, that was, was what I'd do. But I could, I remember sitting down one day at a train station on the way home and I sat down because the train was two minutes away and I would just wait for it there. And in that two minutes, I blinked and then opened my eyes and the train had gone past. And I knew at that point that I was burning the candle at both ends and it was, you know, I was a little too tired, um, a little more tired than I, than I actually probably should have been. And for me, how do I fit it in? I fit it in because by prioritizing the things that I really want to do and finding space for them, there's so much in our life that we waste time on. So I don't watch a lot of TV. I used to watch TV as a, as a kid and stuff, and I thought that that was important because I enjoyed watching stuff. And then I realized that it didn't really matter. So I gave up watching TV. I don't ever read a newspaper. I never watch the news. I have no idea what's going on around the world. Nothing. Nothing. No clue. So if I, unless I see something on social media where I'm doing some work on there, I usually don't know that it's happened. And for the most part, I'm still okay. Like nothing's, nothing's bad has happened to me as a result of that. So I don't think we need to consume as much irrelevant information about the world as we maybe think we do. But if there's something I want to know, I'll go and search it out. So no TV, no real consumption of news. Um, 
I don't I don't waste a lot of time um, uh, with with people or on activities that that don't inspire me or give me um, give me something positive for my life. So I'll, you know I, I don't have a, a wide network of friends, but the ones that I do have are, are people that I really love. Um, and then I just go right. Well, I need to do this. Where does it fit in? And I'll I'll do I'll be working until eleven o'clock at night, or I'll start really early, or I'll you know you just fit things in. But definitely in the last few years, I've simplified and I've I've cut a lot of the stuff out. I don't run as much as I used to, um, and that's based on a, a current need or, or lack thereof. So that itch will come back again, and then I'll start running a lot, and then it'll fade, and I'll do less again, and so peaks and troughs. Um, I've simplified my professional career now, so I don't have seven jobs anymore. I've only got two. I've got my clinic and my professional development courses that I run, and then I do a little bit of consulting. Um, and so I've managed to, I've got more spare time now than I ever have, um, but I'm also more satisfied than I ever have been. And also with uh, professional development, you have also done overseas workshops as well? Yeah, that's right. So it start, started out as kind of local one and two day workshops, and then since then, I've introduced a dry needling conference in the second year of that. And then last year, started to run overseas retreats. So I've done Bali and Hawaii this year, which have both been amazing. So, so you have take, kind of taken out of all the running out of the work as well. So it's mainly just, I mean, probably you might still have some of those clients that you used to have. Or... Yeah, I, I definitely treat a lot of runners still. Um, and I still do a bit of coaching. I have been coaching for quite a while, something I fell into and, and still do a little bit of that. I don't produce content and run workshops and things like that that I used to. Um, but definitely the coaching still there, the treating still there. Um, and then I throw in a little bit of running based education into some of the into some of the courses that I run as well. Last year when you had the overseas course in Bali, yeah, you had a bit of a running workshop in there as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and did that in Hawaii as well. When you say workshop, what, that, uh, without getting too much into the, yes, the manual therapy. I, I tweak it a little bit to make it relevant to the therapist side of things. So normally when I teach running technique or running workshops, I'll, I'll take a runner who wants to improve their efficiency or, you know, be able to run more comfortably, less pain, that kind of thing. And I'll teach them the, the, the mechanics of that, um, some tips and tricks on how to run more smoothly and comfortably. And then when I do that with practitioners, they get the same information, but from the perspective of how they would help a patient. So a patient comes in and has pain here. This is probably what they're doing wrong with their technique. Here's how you can help them adjust that. And so, yeah, it kind of, it drips into the, the PD stuff that I run as well. For people who want to get into running, what sort of things do you normally recommend for those first, first runners? Yeah, when they're just starting out. I would say, firstly, find or figure out, rather than trying to go, right, I just need to run and putting shoes on and heading out the front door. While that's important about, you know, getting, getting going and getting started, I would say try to figure out what kind of environment inspires you. What sort of space do you like to be in? For some people, it's they just need a set of headphones in their ears and some runners, and they just want to put their head down and go. Others want to be like me. They want to be on a, running down a beach or a, or a coastal trail or through a mountain or something. So I would say figure out where you like being, go there, and then just start. Just start to do a little bit, whether it's a five-minute jog, a three-minute jog, broken up with some walking, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, and just kind of gradually ease into it but the last thing you want to do is start how I started which was put a pair of shoes on and go I need to go for a run I'll go around the block sprint around the block get back bent over heaving your lungs out trying to figure out what you did wrong and thinking to yourself that was stupid this running's a bad idea so start really slow really slow and in a place that in a place that you enjoy because 
Uh, when your brain is not engaged in the running, you'll find that you can run a lot further. And for someone who also, you know, when they've been running for a while, I guess running is one of those sports or activities that as you get older, the joints aren't as kind to you. What would you recommend for people who are trying to avoid, obviously, that for the longevity of running? Is there any tips? You know, it's funny that the runners, the incidence of injuries in runners is massively high. It's like 50-something percent chance that you'll get an injury every year as a runner. But what I've found through my experience in trail running is the injuries are much lower. So I think the, the variety of the surface makes a big difference. So running on softer and uneven surfaces, even rocks and stuff, but where you, you're not doing that constant repetitive, you know, cyclical kind of movement that you would do on a road surface. But having said that, like I know a lot of runners who are, are, are much older have been doing it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they're the strongest people that I know. So I don't think running has to equal injury. I think poor running technique plays a big part in that. So getting your running technique assessed and then keeping some variety in your training, cross-training and changing up the surfaces is a, is a big thing. Would you recommend for people to look at coaching? I guess you're saying for, to look at the running getting assessed. I would, I would recommend running technique coaching for a couple of reasons. If you have pain when you run and you've tried everything that you can think of to negate that, um, if you want to run further or faster than you think you're capable of currently and you're not sure how to get there. So what, so the two things would be, it hurts to run or I want to get better than I can by myself. That would be the two reasons. If you if you like going for a run and you do your 5K run three or four times a week and you're feeling good and life's great, then you don't need a coach. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. No problem. Yeah, if anyone wants to come see what you're doing, maybe have a look at maybe the PA work, if they're in the industry or just interested in seeing where you are, what sort of contact? Make it simple. Just Google my name. I'm in a lot of different places. So rather than try to give one point of contact, just Sean Brewster, S-H-A-U-N-B-R-E-W-S-T-E-R. That's it. Google that. You'll find something. Perfect. I can pop a few on in the show notes as well. Sounds great. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Freddie. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to keep in contact, add us on Facebook or Instagram. The links are in the show notes below. Or just search Curious Emu on Instagram or Facebook. I will be adding other social medias. But if there's any in particular you'd love me to be on, let me know. Stay curious, guys.